You're listening to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. In today's publishing landscape, you can reach fans all over the world. Query letters are a thing of the past. You don't even need a literary agent. There is nothing standing in the way of making a living from writing. Join two best-selling authors who have self-published more than 20 books between them. Now, on to the show with your hosts, Autumn Burt and Jasper Schmidt. Hello, I'm Jesper, and this is episode 131 of the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. And uh, Autumn is busy editing our novel today. So I brought on an awesome guest instead, and that is Jeff Wheeler. So welcome to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast, Jeff. Thank you. So good to be here. Yeah, I prepared a, just a bit of information about you, Jeff. So uh, I, I can just go through that and then see if I'm missing something, and then, then you can add to it. But uh, basically, if anybody listening should not be aware who Jeff is already, then Jeff is uh, an author of multiple fantasy series. He has sold over 4 million books, and he has also been on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list five times. And uh, your novels have been translated into multiple languages as well. And I was on your website earlier today, Jeff, and I counted 33 books. So you're quite prolific. <laughs> Thank you. It's my my dream job is to be writing books. So I, I love what I do every day. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's so wonderful. Especially if you can uh, once you once you can make a, a living from it, then that's that's really nice. But uh, but I think I also read on your website that you started out self publishing and then got a traditional publishing contract a bit later on. So is that right? It is, though my publisher's not exactly traditional. It's Amazon Publishing. So after right. creating the platforms like KDP and things like that, they created their own publishing companies. And I was one of the first authors they picked up for their fantasy uh, line, 47 North. Oh, right, right. Cool. Why did you decide that you wanted to self-publishing in the first place, uh, Jeff? Well, um, for, for me, it, it, I'm sure my story is very similar to, to many of your listeners and, and others that I tried the traditional routes. I tried uh, getting an agent. I tried uh, doing those things. And I even created my own magazine to get a readership going through that so that when I started self-publishing novels that they would take off and, and none of that worked. Um, and, <laughs> and and so I kind of put it aside and then I, I wrote a, a, another series of novels, my Muirwood novels, and again, tried the route of getting an agent, was turned down over 40 times. And oh, okay. I, I, I finally said, well, either I either going to try this by myself because the other way isn't working. And so I decided to self-publish all three of those books simultaneously. So that way readers wouldn't have to wait uh, anything in between. So invested the money in there, put it out there, and it happened to come right around the time that uh, KDP was launching and things like that. So before, when you could only order a print book, uh, having a digital version made things a lot easier. And then suddenly fans started to come. And as my sales increased, that kind of put me on the radar for Amazon Publishing. And they reached out to me and asked to acquire that series. So I, I, didn't, even, I didn't even get sent a query letter. They, 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 they sent me a query letter. 
<laughs> that's the position you want to be in. <laughs> but that, I, I guess that's a couple of years down the road then, isn't it, uh, that Amazon reached out about that? Or No, that, that's true. I had, um, I had been trying it, it to break into the, the market for over a decade. So I, I'm an overnight success story that took over 20 years uh, to happen. Uh, but again, that story is not unique to me. I know a lot of other authors that tried that route, and many of them, uh, even who've self-published, who then got... A, a contract with one of the, the big publishing companies. So it's not a unique story, but I love working with Amazon because at their heart, they're a tech company. And having grown up in Silicon Valley, having worked for Intel uh, myself, uh, I understand their DNA. I understand how they work and their their constant uh, search for innovation and creating new ways of, of looking and breaking into markets. And I thought that they were absolutely my the kind of model I was looking for, for a publisher that was going to be innovative and and try to reinvent how publishing works and boy have they done that oh yeah yeah you could definitely say so <laughs> but i guess some people might be curious about what what is amazon like as a publisher how is it to work with them um, for me, it's it's been a delightful experience, and I again I know many other authors that have uh, publishing contracts with the, the the major publishers. So there's a lot of core differences, but to me, those differences are advantages that that Amazon has. Like for example. I have a dashboard. I can see my book sales every single day. And I know we get that through KDP as well. But um, I think what we get at, in Amazon Publishing is a is a little bit more robust in terms of the market demographics and things that we have access to. I, I get my royalty statements every month. So I know what I'm going to be making in advance. I get to see those royalty statements. I get to see it break, you know, broken down uh, through all the different markets in the world that, that do that. Uh, I, I, I earn... Uh, you know, very competitive royalties that you would get at any of the major publishers as well. So I get paid more frequently and and just as much. And the fact that I don't have an agent also helps because I don't have to pay an agent fee uh, as well. So that's that's a, that's a bonus. Um, working with them is also really nice because certain publishers have uh, cadences that you have to like. I'm very prolific, and most publishers wouldn't be able to keep up with the indie schedule that I have, but Amazon can. So I publish three to four books with them every year. And then I still publish indie titles occasionally as well, because I want to keep that side uh, open as well. So I'm kind of a hybrid author, but most of my work comes out through Amazon. And I can really understand that the decisions that they make are based on data. They're based on a lot of research. They test a lot of things. And so they're able to see what efforts yield to book sales. And so that is amazing. A lot of publishers don't have that visibility to see what their what, what effort and what strategy actually increases the number of sales. So uh, all those things said, I think it's really a, a wonderful publisher to have. Mm. Do, do you also have like a dedicated team of, uh, you know, an, a dedicated editor and dedicated cover designs or, or are they more like Managing their pool of authors with a pool of resources, if you know what I mean. Um, they definitely uh, use a pool of resources, independent contractors. So I have a editor, you know, assigned to me at Amazon, but then I have a team of a development editor, a copy editor, a proofreader that I work with the same people every time, and I do that by request because 
they know my body of work and they're able to help me see when I've made mistakes, which is frequently, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So that's helpful. Um, <laughs> but they also you, you contact people to do cover design. So I've, I, I've worked with several different cover designers. I don't really have ultimate say in that. Um, but I, you know, they often say, hey, these are the three or two that we're looking at. Do you have a preference between them? So I, I do get to speak up at the beginning, uh, but we don't use the, this, the same ones. They, they use a variety of them to to work with all of the different authors that they publish. Right, right. Okay. And if uh, some of our listeners, which I'm sure some will uh, be interested in, uh, how do people normally get picked up nowadays uh, by Amazon Publishing? Is it is it just based on when they see somebody has enough sales, they are reaching out? Or, or how, how does that work normally today? Um The way I was picked up was more how it was done in the past. That was over 10 years ago. It's much more traditional yeah. now. So they mostly um, work through agents who then will, will submit all, not only to the big five, but also to Amazon Publishing as well. So to get in there, really having an agent is almost the only way. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's other ways too, that they reach out to other authors that are established and invite them uh, to come in as well. But uh, they're, they're definitely, as they were growing, uh, it was, they were, they were the ones searching for authors and now authors are coming to them through agents for the most part. Yeah. It's the wonderful uh, first mover advantage uh, you can get sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. And I feel very lucky that I was, I, I happened to be catching the wave when it happened and had, had works already and, and was writing a whole new series. So when they purchased my Mirrorwood series, they said, well, what else are you writing? And I told them about my next one, my Mirrorwood series, and they they grabbed those too. So I signed a six book deal just right off the bat, which is kind of unusual. That doesn't happen to everybody. No, I can imagine. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, but are you then also doing some of your own advertising or is Amazon taking care of all the Amazon ads for you and so on? Oh, well, a Amazon covers the advertising and the marketing for sure. And so the the resources that people can pay for today through KDP and things like that, we've been using within APUB for years and they even have more things that they can do than are, are what were available. So they, they can send targeted emails and things to past readers to make them aware of my books coming out. That's not something that's available through KDP. So they definitely have all their tools plus all the tools that they are now uh, allowing indie authors to use. And so it, it's just neat to see how they've invented this ecosystem to make it possible for writers all over from, from all over the world uh, to be able to make careers out of this and so it's just it's it's amazing and i have a lot of friends in the indie space as well and i uh, get to hear what what they're doing and what they're spending their money on in terms of marketing that i don't have to do because amazon's giving that to me it's just part of being one of their authors right are you running any sort of advertising besides what amazon does or are you are you completely leaving everything to them Are you doing like, I'm thinking like BookBub ads or Facebook ads or anything like that? Do you do any of that? I, I don't. I've I've tried different uh, ones uh, for my self-published titles as well. But I, I found that just the machine that Amazon is, that by the virtue of them selling my books, my indie titles get sucked into that machine. Uh, and so it, it makes it available for readers anyways. I've tried those different approaches. I know different people have. It's just not something I, I personally sp uh, spend my own money on because I already have the benefit of being able to uh, utilize it through Amazon. Yeah, and I, I think over the years, I've also come to the realization more and more that uh, if you can find a way to 
well, yeah, some people call it tickle the algorithm in Amazon. <laughs> but if you can if you can find a way to get Amazon to push your book, that is a million times easier than anything you can do yourself, basically. It is true, but let's. I don't want to underestimate the importance of having a social media presence, having a newsletter list, being engaged with your fans, because that's something they appreciate. And a little bit of effort, like creating a newsletter or responding to a message on Facebook or Twitter or I'm on Instagram as well, creates that relationship between the author and the reader, much more so than when I was a kid growing up, where you'd have to write a letter and mail it to the publisher and it would eventually maybe yeah. get to the author who may eventually write back or you might see them at a convention or you might see them at a book signing. The relationship is much more dynamic now. And I think that having social media is, is a great enabler of that because it allows us as authors to be able to uh, connect with those fans. And the more uh, connected they are to you, the more they, they like you as a person, the more they're going to stay on top of what your, what your release schedule is. And they're going to be wanting to pre-order and, and buy things coming off. So that's outside the algorithms. You cannot overstate the importance of word of mouth and how your loyal fans are your most likely source of future readers more than an algorithm, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, no doubt about that. I can. I also saw that you also running a, like a newsletter, and you have a email list. I saw that on your website as well. Um, how, how effective do you find your email list in terms of you know generating sales and so on? Are, are you using that whenever you have a new book? You're sending out an email, and do you then see that convert to sales, or or do you more rely, as you said before, on Amazon pushing things? Um, I, I know Amazon can; their email list is a lot bigger than mine. Um, so I don't know how I don't know how much my newsletter does. But I know that I know, for example, when I send out a newsletter about a pre-order available for a new book, that I, I do I Im- immediately see uh, pre-orders going in. So it absolutely helps. But I, I'm not going to kid myself that the 800-pound gorilla is not me <laughs> in, in in terms of, of, of moving the needle. But again. And I know my fans like hearing from me. They they respond back to those emails. We we I, I respond back to them. I try to be very open and available to my to to my readers and let them know that I'm not I'm not afraid to talk to them. Not afraid to interact with them. I, I think that's a good point. We had actually a podcast episode. Probably by the time this goes out, it's probably like a month, two months ago, or something like that. But Autumn and I was discussing the effectiveness of social media in today's landscape uh, in that episode. And I, I do think it's a bit of a difficult one because I, I fully agree with what you're saying in the sense of interacting with readers and people and responding to them if they tweet at you and you, you send back a, a reply and so on. I think that is really important, like you're saying as well. Uh, but the thing that I am wondering about and what we discussed quite lengthy <laughs> in that episode was that is it really worth one thing is like somebody tweets at you or sends a Facebook message and you reply to that sort of one thing. Another thing is being actively engaging and trying to build up uh, some sort of, let's say, using it as a marketing tool to try to get sales and so on. Whereas I'm not so sure that that part is very efficient anymore. I, I, I'm really not so convinced that because social media is also a time suck, right? You can spend so much time in generating new posts or new content to post there and, and whatnot. And I'm not really sure that it helps so much when it comes to sale. I think your your time is probably better spent 
writing and releasing a new book, to be honest. No, I, I, I would agree with you. And, and if you've been on social media at all, you've seen, especially brand new authors, using that to, to market a book. And, and people don't pay attention to that. What they pay attention to no. is a friend who's recommending your book. So yeah, I, I, I use social media to let my fans know when my books are on sale. That's another awesome thing Amazon does for me. They put my books on sale regularly, even after the initial launch. It could be years later, right. they're still marketing uh, my releases. My fans would want to know that they're on sale for 99 cents or a, you know a, a British pound, right? They, they want to know that. So I, I want to make Absolutely. sure they, they're aware of it. And then I find my fans will often forward and boost that signal to saying, oh, this is on sale and they share that with their friends. So that's that's effective, much more effective than than me doing it because I don't I mean I've I've never bought, bought in a book because the author reached out uh, to me. I've 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 bought a book because my friends and my author friends are recommending uh books to read. So that's that's the power of it. I think people can definitely try to beat that too much and what's more important is just being genuine and real in your social media and not just posting about your your books but posting about other things. I on my Instagram account I do I do photos. I, I it's a different thing than what I do on my Twitter. And so I just try to use the different social medias depending on the the purpose of it, but it's not just for promoting um, the, a new release. Mm. No, I get you. Uh, and I was also thinking, uh, just shifting gears slightly here, because I noticed as well on your website that uh, you have your book called Your First Million Words, uh, where you're describing your journey to publication and and. As far as I could tell, at least, I think that's the only nonfiction book you had. At least it was the only one I found on your website. But why did you decide to write that one? I was a bit curious about that. That's a that's a, that's a great question. Um, I get asked so often. You know, I get I get email requests from authors that are starting out, students in college, high school students. I'm part of Teen Author Bootcamp and other places. I get asked for advice a lot. And so over the years, I had written articles to, which I put on my blog, but I kept getting asked, like in, in speaking appearances, tell us your author journey, tell us how you got where you are. And I, I, my story's kind of different and unique, and and there's a lot of twists and turns in it that I think I thought would be helpful to other people who are beginning their own journey. And so, I mean, like many, I've read Stephen King's on writing. I've I've read a lot of different uh, things on the craft. But over the years, like working at Intel and, and and doing this, you know, dealing with the discouragement of getting rejected so many times, there's a lot of aspects to it that I think weren't being covered. And so I just, I you know, I've, after having shared in speeches and talks my story so many times, I said, you know what, I'm just going to start writing these things down in a book. It's probably only going to be like 70 pages, but it ended up being almost, you know, a lot more than that. And, but I just I wanted I wanted to inspire I wanted to inspire um, future authors I wanted them to see the good the bad and the cringeworthy right there's things that the mistakes I've made along the 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 the, the road that it's like look you know I didn't get this right on the first try I I, I I here's what I did here's how I plotted my own course when when nobody was telling me yes and everyone was telling me no and I just wanted to give it give somebody hope that if they tried not necessarily what I did, but just see that they're going to have their own journey. And I just felt like sharing that experience. In fact, I got a text from a, a high school buddy of mine 
just last night who finished your first million words and he's a high school teacher down in LA. And he was like, wow. He's like, I knew you in high school. I had no idea of these things that you went through. Thank you for being candid with us on your failures as well as your successes, because you learn so much through those things. And that's, that's what I wanted to, to do with that book. Yeah, and I also really appreciate because you're you're very much giving back, and I really like that. Uh, also, when when I reached out regarding this podcast episode, you replied quite quickly that you were very happy to come on for for a chat here. So so I think it's it's wonderful once you know people get some some success and they they sell a lot of books that they don't sort of forget to give back to everybody else who's not at that level yet so i do really appreciate that i th- i think it's a very good thing well i know what it feels like when i create, started creating my own magazine deep magic i would reach out to authors that i admired and 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 hearing back just hearing back anything meant so much to me so i still remember <laughs> what that was like and you were very courteous jesper with your request and i i do this this kind of thing uh, frequently so i'm i'm happy to do it No, that that's that's wonderful, um, but we also need to talk a bit of fantasy here, of course, because uh, this is the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast, <laughs> and uh, I saw that your initial inspiration as well was from the Shinara uh, Chronicles by Terry Brooks. Uh, so t- tell me a bit about that. Um, absolutely, I, I I was not an avid reader until probably high school, um, but for me it began. That kind of that desire to become a writer began when I was in middle school, and it started with a, a Terry Brooks book uh, from his Shannara universe. And it, you know, for me, I would pick up a book and I would immediately start to try to predict the endings. And most of the time, I was right. And so it was, it just be, it, to me, it, it was hard to find a book that challenged my imagination. And and again, I, I I wasn't reading Tolkien back then. I was just trying a lot of different things. And it was that Terry Brooks book that really kind of kick-started to me in me the desire uh, to be able to do that. He happened to come to Silicon Valley multiple times for uh, book signings at the local, you know, at some of the local bookstores. So I had the opportunity to meet him. Uh, and so he really played a role in 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 terms of my creativity of of having unpredictable plots, having strong characters, having a lot of action. That's the kind of thing that I like to write. Um, good versus evil, those themes and stories have always appealed to me. And so he became somebody that I looked up to Well, as an adult, um, I found that he was doing a writing seminar in up north of San Francisco, and I had the opportunity to spend an entire day with him. And for, I mean, you can just imagine how that affected me, the, the chance to, he's going to read my writing, I'm going to be able to learn from him for a whole day. That was really a turning point moment for me. So yes, it began right. uh, when I was in middle school, but he's influenced me even until today. In fact, I was so happy when um, my publisher approached him to do a little blurb for my newest series, The First Argentines, and he agreed to read the first book and do a, a blurb for it. I mean, I was over the moon uh, as you can imagine that somebody that I looked up to, I'd studied under, uh, was was now supporting me. I've been to a Comic-Con event with him, been up on stage with him. So it's just been a, a fantastic thing that uh, influence that he's been on my life from the earliest of times, sparking that creativity within me and then being able to watch his career and see how he's handled it and and and, and to learn from him in person was just amazing. Yeah, and how did it feel getting critique on your work fr- from him? Uh, <laughs> how, how did that feel at that point in time? Well, it was terrifying, 
right? Because we all had to submit a story <laughs> to him in advance. And I wasn't the first one that he began the critique with. And and he was very, very candid and, and very pointed with his critique. He, he, it wasn't like, a, I'm just going to try to make you feel good. He was challenging what people were saying. He was showing gaps in logic. He was showing where things weren't working. And I was starting to just sweat like, oh my goodness, this is going to be horrible. <laughs> and I, when he got to mine... Um, he asked some questions. He challenged me, but I, I I was able to answer it. And he didn't rip my my things apart at all. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Okay. And then when we, we had a little lunch break, we were in this cafe by this book at this bookstore, and I was sitting there and I was watching him get his sandwich. And I was in my mind, I'm like, come sit by me, come sit by me. And he did. <laughs> he came and sat by me. So it was just the two of us. And and he told me during that lunch, he's like, Jeff, he's like, you're the best writer in this class. He's like, I can really see that you you have you can have a future with this. And oh, talk about validation! I, I was like, "Wow!" I was uh, to hear that from your uh, your superstar was, meant meant the world to me. And it it it, but it, what that did is it actually motivated me to throw away all the fantasy books that I had written prior to that, and to say, "You know what? I've learned a lot from him. I've learned a lot through my magazine. I'm going to start fresh with something brand new." And that was my Muirwood series. And that's the one, coincidentally, after having written and thrown away a million words, that was the, the book that uh, launched my success. Yeah, it must have been extremely transformative, as, as I can also hear from what you're saying, uh, having a chat with him there. And my God, how lucky that he just sat down at your table. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It just it was one of those things like it was just meant to be. And uh, I've, I've, again, I've had the pleasure of meeting him since then. And it's just been a wonderful thing to, to know him. So did you fall in love with the fantasy genre from reading those specific books? Uh, was that sort of the trigger? Well, the, that, or were you already... that, that did help. But to be honest, the first books that I wrote while I was in high school were more thrillers. Uh, more political thrillers, and um, what I what I came to realize is how much research you had to do to make something accurate in today's world. It took a lot less research to make a fantasy world because you could create the the landscape, the geography. You weren't constrained by historical things. And so for me, a lot of my inspirations for my fantasy novels have come from periods of history in our own planet, sometimes medieval Europe. I've written a series on ancient China. I've done lots of different kinds of series so that I can kind of dive into it kind of take something that interested me from history and then kind of repackage it and make it my own. And and that's what I really loved about fantasy is it's not that the lack of research, it's just allowed me to combine different elements that I didn't have to worry about somebody coming back and saying, no, this isn't the way it really works. Like you can't say that to a fantasy author because you know, in my world, apple trees produce fruit <laughs> in twice world. a year, not once. <laughs> and no one can tell me I'm wrong because I invented apple trees that way. So, <laughs> no, I really agree. I, I sometimes uh, hear on other podcasts as well when some of those uh, maybe thriller authors and authors and so on talk about um, how you know readers come back to them and say well this gun actually doesn't work that way and so on and i i every time i'm just like i'm so happy i don't have that problem <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> <It> just <laughs> 
Well, of course, we, we do still need to think a bit about the weapons we use and the armors we use, uh, unless you sort of create something that nobody has ever heard about. We, we still need to think a bit about that and not make it unrealistic in that sense. But but, but, but we do have an easier life. It's, it's true. And, and to me, there's a lot of fun in researching things. There's I, I saw some great uh, German videos of medieval knights for my uh, first Argentine series, like how sturdy the armor was. How would they how would they stand up against arrows and swords and things? Yes. And watching you know film footage of you know, armor taking a beating or weapons taking a beating. See that to me, that's not even research. That's just fun. And so I like doing that stuff to make my stories as realistic as possible. But then you got to create your own magic system, and that's that's part of the fun too. That's that's the best part, yeah. Yeah, I also watched. I can't remember anymore because it's many many years ago. So I cannot remember if it was on one of the network shows or if it was just YouTube videos or whatever. I can't remember anymore. But I watched one time where they were dis- discussing whether or not like medieval knight armors could resist a shot from like a musket, and um, and the the armors that they created now, the the musket shot right through them. Uh, but then during the show, they talked to like a, a blacksmith who was specialized in creating medieval armors like they were created back then. And uh, then they got him in the show to smith such an armor. And then they shot at it. And the bullet did not go through. Aha, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> so there's all sorts yeah, of things. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I found one of, the, one of the tidbits, and I actually used it in my new series, that they would have these trials between knights, and they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't even wear armor. They'd just sword against sword. And, and so you imagine getting cut up by a sword. Well, they would use moldy bread to put on the wound. And I'm like, moldy bread, it's kind of like penicillin. Oh. You know, I, I'm like, they figured that stuff right. out. They figured out that moldy bread helped... Keep prevent a wound from getting infected. I'm like, that's cool. I've got to use that in my series, which I did. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, and and I'm also I love listening to. I don't know if you ever listened to Dan Carlin's uh, Hardcore History podcast, uh, but that is such such a good podcast. And I, I remember some point when he was talking about medieval knights as well, and he was saying something like. Uh, they were like tanks, you know. It, it, when you meet a medieval knight on the battlefield, you just can't you can't do anything. <laughs> Your sword will not penetrate his armor. <laughs> you can just hit him and hit him and hit him, but it doesn't help. And hope he falls down because other than that, you're toast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so that's pretty cool. Well, it was it, it was um, actually was, that it was that kind of thing, that kind of medieval knight um, that inspired my newest series because I really wanted to write a story about knights, but from their point of view and and the training they'd have to go through, the armor they'd have to wear, how hard it was, and some of the books I read from you know accounts written from the you know twelve hundreds and eleven hundreds. It's it just fascinating to me those little details that we as authors weave into our stories. That when it's often when people read my books, they don't realize this is real. This is a scene that actually happened in history. I'm not just making it up. Do you always go with some something from real history that inspires you, or do you also something sometimes just make something completely random up? Um, most. Most of the books that I've written have come from something that inspired me from history or from Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I, I'm a big role playing 
fanatic, especially when I was in high school and and college. And so those story elements are the are my two biggest sources of inspiration, and mostly because history is so unpredictable and D and D is so unpredictable. <laughs> like when I would play with my friends, they would come up with things that I did not anticipate or expect, which is a great thing to learn as a writer because it's the unanticipated that really delights a reader. If, if they've like, just like I had a problem with always predicting what was going to happen next. One of the great things is finding ways to be unpredictable and to uh, make your plot twist such that people don't see it coming. They, it just delights a certain part of our brains when something like that happens. And that's one of our, I think one of our core competencies as a, as a writer. Yeah. It's, it's like a double edged sword, that stuff, because I also feel like after after becoming an author and writing books and stories you know when i watch like a murder mystery show or whatever uh, like it not every time of course but a lot of the times i'm able to foresee who the murderer is well ahead of time when i'm watching like a tv show on netflix or something and it's sort of i wouldn't say it destroys those shows but but it's a different experience watching that kind of thing nowadays uh, when you're a storyteller yourself compared to when you weren't uh, but i don't know if you have that experience I, as well. I, I i can completely relate to you jesper because i i've had that too book reading for me has not been as enjoyable in recent years as it was in the past because my author brain can't help but want to make it better <laughs> or I predict what's happening because I see the clues and and I piece it together. Yeah. And so I, I tend to read more biographies or other things that are outside of my genre just because I need something to um, trick my brain to stop me from trying to predict everything that's happening. And I, I just I find more history or biographies gives me that than sitting down with a novel. When I can find an author that's new, like one of my new favorites is Anthony Ryan in the UK. Uh, when I do find some somebody who's so good at his craft and can create a world and, and do things and I can't see what's coming, I can't see where he's doing it, I, and I, I just get transported. It brings me back to those days with Terry Brooks again. And unfortunately, it's more rare than common now. And it's just part of the process of being an author you're, you're you just start figuring stuff out easier <laughs> it is yeah absolutely but and i also feel like uh, one of the things autumn and i uh, are doing with our books is that we're really trying purposely to craft it so that you won't see what is coming at the end so we try to with all the books we're trying to see if we can sort of make twists always in the end that you didn't see because i really feel like personally at least that's the kind of fantasy books that I like. I like when something happens at the end that I, I couldn't work it out. Uh, but at the same time, and maybe that was what you were trying to say a, a bit there as well, is that if I look across like fantasy books in general, many of them feel to me at least, and not that I've read all of them, of course, but, but the ones I've read, a lot of the time they feel like very, very straightforward. Like it's just like you go on this quest thing and at the end, you fight the dragon or whatever, and then yeah, hey, you you won, and 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 great. I mean, it, not that it's not; it can be a good story, of course, and it could be incredibly well written. But I just feel like if we can work in some stuff that maybe normally belongs a bit more over in another genre like thrillers, and we if we can work that a bit into the fantasy, 
I personally at least feel that it, it becomes more interesting. Uh, and I agree. And that's the kind of book that I like to write. But even within fantasy, you can have things that are more action-adventure. You There's romance fantasy. And, and those readers expect a certain kind of trope um, that, that, that yeah. goes with it. So you, you have to understand kind of what your, what your market is. But I'm always looking for that different angle of how can I, like in my book, The Queen's Poisoner, I made my protagonist eight years old. And that puts a Ooh, whole okay. series of constraints, right? Because he's not yes. going to pick up a sword and, and defeat the bad guy. He's got to defeat him with his head. But an eight-year-old can't outsmart an adult unless there's another adult helping the eight-year-old. So I, I, I like putting together these ideas that kind of create a totally different kind of a story than what people are expecting. Again, but those with those twists and turns put in there that just make you want to keep turning the pages and say, what, how is this kid going to get out of the, these Kings, this King's clutches, you know, he, he the, the, the cards are so stacked against him. So I, I like looking for those different angles and not just having a, the, the stand using the standard tropes, but often flipping them. No, no, I agree. Uh, and is that book then written for mature audience? I mean, for adults, or yes. is it more like a YA? It, it, it's kind of both. My audience range, and I, I know this from my my Amazon results. I have readers who are eight years old, and I have readers that are over eighty years old. So I, I've got a, that's a good. I've, I've got a, it's a great <laughs> problem to have, and so it, it, you can't really classify it as YA because they're they're very adult um, characters in there as well. No, I don't I don't write with a lot of adult themes. There's no sex or swearing and in my books but that's just yeah. the kind of things that i like to enjoy myself but it, yeah it, it, people of all ages can can get sucked into it including my own kids and including my own in-laws so i've got the range on both sides my my father-in-law is begging for my new book to, which comes out next week it's like i can't wait till this book comes out so uh, it, it's good <laughs> to see that that enthusiasm yeah, absolutely. But do you find uh, the more books that you write that it becomes more and more difficult to come up with new, let's say, interesting takes on things or 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 does just the fact that you go into a different historical uh, like theme does that automatically bring some new twists and turns so to speak uh, into your books or, or how do you feel about that? Well, the, the, I kind of have two different processes. So like when I'm writing a book, I, my focus is on that one. And then if a new idea comes to me for another series while I'm working on that book, I'll send myself an email. I'll kind of capture some of the idea and I'll just file it away and I'll just let it kind of incubate in the back of my head. But I don't spend a lot of my conscious time processing that new idea. I want to stay focused on the idea that I have so that as I'm thinking about the next few chapters, I always kind of plot off the story arc of where's this series going, but I don't plot all the twists and turns in advance. So I spend my time thinking about as I'm maybe I might need a, an, an inn or a castle or a certain place. And as I go and as I research that, that will give me new ideas that I can weave into that story, add some twists to it. But meanwhile, in the background, I've got these other ideas that are cooking. And I, I worried that am I going to run out of ideas? And I can tell you, after all these years, my 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 book <laughs> idea folder in my inbox is getting longer, not shorter. And so new ideas come to me all the time, often multiple ideas while I'm working on a series. And so if I get three new ideas for every series, exponentially, that's a problem. Like I'm going to die before I'm going to write all the story ideas that I have. So then I have to really be thoughtful about what am I going to work on next? 
What's that next adventure going to be? What do I feel the most passionate about? Because I've got all these ideas to choose from. What are the ones that are the most exciting to me? Yeah, and I think that's actually a good point. Uh, it's one that I've also started thinking more and more about uh, in terms of because uh, my idea folder is also very, very long, <laughs> and it does not get shorter like yours. Um, but I, I think it's it's a good point. The fact that once you start working on a series, you you're probably well, some some for some it'll take longer, obviously, but you're probably locked in for a year at least. Uh, some people might work on it even longer than that, but. Uh, I think there is a good point in this choice that you're making. Which one do you actually want to write, and and what, um, and and what do you then choose out of that list? Right, uh, I think, and it's not. I don't think it's easy. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. But it, it for me, it, it, the the key decision maker is: Do I have the fire in the belly for it? Am I excited to write? So I'm working on a series that's going to be coming out next year. And before I started working on it, I shared three ideas with my wife and I just talked to her about all three of them just independently. Here's the three ideas for three different series that I could do. And she said, judging by the, by the look on your face, you're the most excited about this one. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> like there's very practical <laughs> and pragmatic reasons why I could have worked on the other two, but she could tell the excitement enthusiasm was there and that's got to be a key ingredient because I, I have readers that say hey go back to your you know an early 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 series that you self-published before Muirwood and I said I have zero interest in going back to that yeah. series I have no fire in the belly for it it would be painful for me to try to go back and try to write more in that world because I had originally designed like maybe a 12 book series and I have since come to learn that most publishers don't like 12 book series because your readership keeps getting smaller and smaller the further out you go. And so it's not, they're, 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 they're good for like Robert Jordan's and, and others, but, yeah, yeah. but it's just, most of us can't uh, command the attention that long. And they'd prefer trilogies or maybe four, or maybe I've done five at, at once. And her advice was spot on. And that's the one I'm writing right now. And, and she was right. I am still excited and passionate about writing this book. And then I'll make the decision as I get near the end of the final book, what am I going to go back to either of those two other ideas or did something else come along that I'm now passionate and, and excited about? That's got to be a key ingredient for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and maybe uh, way uh, here towards the end, um, Jeff, I'm thinking if, if we could like invent a time machine here and uh, you could go into the time machine and you can travel back to the earlier version of yourself when you were just starting out on your publishing journey. If you had to, you only had time in the, in the past here for, for saying like one advice to yourself and then you're going to sit back right here in the present. So what would be one thing that you would tell your past self as, as a piece of advice? You know, I've, I've, I've wondered that at times, you know, because, you know, if I look at my journey, what would I have wanted to know the most that would have kept me motivated? Because my skills have changed, my interests have changed, I've grown as a writer since becoming a full-time author, a lot has changed, and you can't really summarize that in a, in a sentence or two, but the advice, if I could, like, slip out of a time machine and, and talk to myself while I was at Intel or while I was in high school, I would, I would, have, I would have just told myself, it's it's going to happen. Like you're going to get there. You're going to become a full-time author someday, but I wouldn't tell me how 
because okay. there would be no way to summarize that the, that up and down experience I talk about in my memoir to the point where that that self could understand what I was talking about. But I, but I think it would be motivating to me to know that you, you know, that, that that I made it, that I made that happen, and. And that's the that's the advice I'd like to give writers today. Is like like if you could imagine that you would succeed in anything that you did, what would you dare to do? Like if you knew that there was no chance you could mm-hmm. fail, that you would eventually succeed, what would you dare to do? And I, I I just knowing that by daring to be an author that I would achieve it someday, and that that if I I don't even know if I tell myself that I would be more popular than I could have even imagined back then. Like I, I, I've exceeded way more than I ever thought I would have, or ever thought I would have deserved. But if I could just tell myself, "You're going to make it," that would have that would have been very inspiring to me, and I hope it's inspiring to your listeners too to put in the time it takes to write those books in a lonely room without anybody else there, unless you've got a co-writer. Um, it's up to you by yourself to pull it off. Wow! But to know that you're going to make it, you'd make it worth it. Just don't give up. I think that's a that's a very good uh, point to end the conversation on. <laughs> um, but Jeff, I also wanted to ask you if uh, if people want to check out more about you, where where do they go? Uh, <clears throat> my website is jeff-wheeler.com. Um, I have. Uh, all of my different worlds there. I have a different page from the different worlds that talks about the settings and the magic and the kind of thing. So that way, if people want to explore like, oh, I may be more interested in this one. This one's got a more medieval feeling. This one's got more of a steampunk feeling. This one's got, you can kind of look at it that way. I also always get asked like, well, where do I start? You've got over 30 books. Where do I start? The, <laughs> the, the page that gets viewed the most on my website is one called the one called Reading Order. Where I suggest, if if I had to pick, this is the order I would read my books in, because um, a lot of my stories are tied together. There's little hints from one that leak into another, and so if you want to capture all those nuggets and little Easter eggs, uh, you would you you would if you read it in the order I suggest, you, you'll probably maximize that the most. But that's that's what I would say, suggest. Oh, that's so cool. And I did. I can confirm the those world pages you have on your website. It's really cool. And there's nice images and everything as well. So it looks really good. And uh, of course, reading about some uh, fantasy setting, who doesn't want to do that? <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> thank you. So uh, thank you so much for coming on, uh, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Awesome. It's my pleasure to be here. Okay, and uh, next week, Autumn will be back. And uh, I'm pre-recording this, so I'm not quite sure what we're going to talk about, but uh, tune in. If you like what you just heard, there's a few things you can do to support the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Please tell a fellow author about the show and visit us at Apple Podcast and leave a rating and review. You can also join Autumn and Jasper on patreon.com slash amwritingfantasy. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get awesome rewards and keep the Am Writing Fantasy podcast going. Stay safe out there and see you next Monday. <laughs>